mind when I, when I, I said we're going to be talking about waiting. Um, the story is known as, as the parable of the pounds. Um, it's probably a familiar story to you. There's actually several different accounts of this, depending on which gospel. We're going to be looking at the one in Luke, um, Luke chapter 19. Um, just to recap the story, and then we're going to kind of jump into it uh, in, in more detail uh, to see what, what the Lord really has for us today. But just, uh, just so we're all kind of familiar. So the story of the pounds goes like this. There is a, there is a nobleman who it goes, is going to go away to be named king. Um, and then he's going to come, his plan is to come back and, and become king over an area. And before he goes, he brings in 10, 10 of his servants and he gives, them each, um, he gives them each a pound, which is like a hundred days worth of wages. And he gives them these instructions. He says, I'm going away, I'm going to come back as king. And he says, I want you to invest this money while I'm gone in my name. That's very important important detail. He says, I want you to invest this money for me in my name while I'm gone. He goes away, he comes back, and he calls the servants back in, and then we have a reporting of these servants and what they did. And the, the first one comes in, and, and he says, you, get, you gave me, I made ten times what, it, what, what you gave me. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm go- because you were faithful in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you ruler over 10 cities. And then another one comes in and says, I made five times what it was you gave me. And he says, good job. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward you, your faithfulness, with being ruler over five cities. And then a, a third guy comes in, and it doesn't go so well for him. Um, <laughs> he goes before, before this, this nobleman, and he says, um, here's your money back. I, I basically... Super paraphrasing here. He says, basically, I was really afraid of you and and what was going on. And so I decided to just hide your money in my sock drawer so that nothing would happen to it. Because I knew that you were a hard man, a harsh man. And I knew that you you gained where you didn't really put your money. Um, You you were kind of a a scoundrel. This phrase is, we'll get into this a little bit more, but it's, it's saying that you're not the most scrupulous guy in the world, and I was afraid of what you would do if I lost your money, so I hit it, here it is back, and the, the nobleman's response is, you wicked servant, and he goes and he, we'll, again, we'll get into details later, but basically he explains to this guy why he, he sees into this guy's heart, and, and he doesn't accept his, his excuse for why he, he didn't um, make any profit with the money that was invested in him. And so he takes it from him and gives it to the guy who made 10 times the amount. That's the, the parable we're going to be looking at today. And uh, so we're going to dig into that. But first, let's just ask the Lord to, to, to join us in this moment. Father, we thank you for, for being here this morning, Lord. We've already uh, experienced your presence God, you've already spoken to us as as we've exalted your name. Um, Lord, would you continue to speak to us? Would you further uh, convict us and convince us, guide us, and inspire us and empower us today through your word? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So that's that's the story we're going to be looking at. And we find it, as I mentioned, in, in Luke chapter 19. Uh, the story starts in verse 11, 
And, it's, and he says that the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So right off the bat, we kind of have two important details that we see in this story. As Jesus, as they, the, the, the author sets up this parable that Jesus is about to tell us. Number one is they were nearing Jerusalem. Now, why, why is that important? This, this parable that Jesus tells as we get into it, you will see, would have had extra um, importance and significance to that group of people because it alludes to some circumstances that had been going on specifically in Jerusalem the last number of years that they would have had probably, um, if not firsthand personal experience with they would have known somebody who was directly affected by this this situation that was going on that Jesus points to in this parable and we'll, we'll get into exactly what that what, uh, what that was in a moment but but it's important important to point out that this this parable is specifically designed for the group of people that he was speaking to I think that's that's a, a beautiful reminder for us that, that when Jesus talks to us, he talks to us. That in our lives, like, kind of like the, the story Madeline sh- shared this morning, that, that we serve a personal God, that Jesus wants to, the Lord wants to communicate with you. Yes, he, he has given us, he has given us uh, the ultimate measuring stick and guide in his word, and he speaks to us clearly through his word. But he wants to speak that word specifically into your life. If we, will, if we will listen, if we will pursue his voice. So that's the, the first thing. He was, he was nearing Jerusalem. And the second thing is that, you know, sometimes when, we, when we've looked at these parables, you have to kind of dig for the, the, the big point or, or, or look through all this stuff. We don't have to do this here. He, 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 Luke spells it out for us. He says it right at the beginning. He told them this story to correct an impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Well, pretty straightforward. This is, this is the reason Jesus told this story, was that that. They thought, see, this is towards the end. This is right at the end of Jesus' ministry. And everything is ramping up and everything's looking good. The next thing that happens in, in Luke after, this, after this, this sort of scenario we see is, you know, it says Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. What happens, this is the trip when he enters Jerusalem where we have the triumphal entry. This is, this is we're getting we're pushing right up on Palm Sunday. We're we're getting real close to the Easter story, and at this point, um, things haven't turned yet, and and the, the followers of Jesus are starting to starting to feel the, the the that something's coming. Only their impression of what that is is completely off base. Right? We know that the disciples and and most of the people around when when they. St- thought of the coming kingdom they thought of an earthly kingdom they thought they thought Jesus was about to take over this thing and he by this thing they mean Israel and throw off the Roman government and and restore Israel to its its glory days back when you know when David and 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 Solomon ruled and so Jesus tells them this story that to help them understand that that's that's not what's coming, guys. That's not what's coming. 
This parable is designed to help us more accurately see how our life fits into the kingdom of heaven in the part of the story that we find ourselves in even today. Jesus' first coming and his second coming, right? There's these two kind of anchors in history. And we find ourselves in the middle of them. The disciples, disciples, keep saying that word wrong. The disciples and his followers at this point were sure that his physical reign was about to start. He told them this, to under, this story, though, to help shape that understanding and by extension us. To help us understand the timing of his kingdom, uh, which is what, as we just discussed, but also to warn them about some of the difficulties they were about to face. See, the story is more than just a story to tell us, hey, we're going to have to wait a bit. It's also to help us, to instruct us, and to guide us into what we should be doing while we're waiting. You know, how you wait a lot of time determines how long you wait or what happens at the end of the waiting. Do you ever... Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a position of um, marginal yet absolute power. <laughs> Anybody ever been a, a host at a restaurant? Um, I've had that, that distinction before where I, the, the host at a, at a restaurant, especially when it's busy, in the grand scheme of things, you, you're kind of insignificant, right? You're not... You're not forming policy you're not you know you're not saving lives but within those four little walls to everybody that's waiting out in the lobby you are the gatekeeper you are are the ultimate power to say when when everybody gets their their milkshakes and burgers and all that stuff and i can't speak for all hosts or hostesses but i can tell you that for me this was not company policy but for me how you waited had a lot to do with how long you waited. <laughs> yes, I know this is not ethical. <laughs> but if you were going to sit there, put your name in, sit and wait, you were going to get called as soon as your table was ready, as soon as your, your thing came up. If, if every three minutes you were coming up to me, if you were constantly, you know, changing the number of your party, complaining, being loud, not making room for other people, being rude, that 20 minutes, I can guarantee you, was probably going to look more like 35 or 40. I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I confess that now. Fine. It's, it's been years. <laughs> but how we wait affects sometimes how long we wait and it affects the it affects our state of mind and and the 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 quality of our life while we're waiting there's some people that sit in that lot they're sitting in that lobby when i was the host that it was an extension of their dinner experience they sat they chatted with their friends they hung out and it was pleasant and right next to them there's a group of people doing the exact same thing only to them this is the worst 10 minutes of their entire lives if you just look at the way they're acting. How you wait makes a difference. 
And so Jesus was telling this story to help the disciples and to help us understand the significance of how we wait. So we're, that's enough preface. Let's just jump into the story. So, so all that's set up. Verse 12, Jesus starts this story. He, and he said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. Verse 14 says, But his, but his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. Okay, so here's the, this is the setup, right? And there's, there's a lot in here that we have to understand to, to really get to the heart of why Jesus was telling this story to this group of people. So in the opening of the story, Jesus draws on a real-life scenarios that these people have been dealing with for the last 20 years um, in, in their own situations. Now, uh, obviously, this is not an exact replica, but it, but it, it is um, kind of a nod to, you, you know, think, um, you ever watch like a drama on TV that is based mostly, like you can tell what headline, what news story they were drawing on that just happened, you know, to, that they've kind of changed some of the details and some of the facts, but you know they're talking about this big scandal that just broke or this big thing or whatever. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. If, if a nobleman or a ruler back in those days wanted to solidify their power, they had to go to Rome, and the emperor had to, uh, they put, kind of ask, ask the, uh, the emperor or, or make their, their case before him, and then he would, if, he, if they found favor with him, he would an, announce and make them king over that area, which was a, another whole level of, of power and prestige and authority, um, that, that they didn't have before then. So it was a, it was a highly sought-after thing. And this had happened twice in Israel's recent history um, with, with several different, a couple of different results. The first one was back in 40 B.C. Anybody know the name Herod? Herod the Great, right? If you know the Christmas story, if you know the story of Jesus' birth, you know Herod. Um, in 40 B.C., he went before the emperor and, would, and was made king uh, and, and ruled for quite some time. And then, that, so that's, that's before this generation that Jesus is talking to you. But more recently, just after Jesus was born, Herod dies. And um, when he dies, his son laid claim to the throne. His son's name was Archelaus. Um, he, so he makes the same trip. Right, his, his father kind of writes it into his will, and so he starts governing, but he wants the official, he wants to be made king, so he, he went to Rome to seek his kingship, right, just like in the parable. But, here's the problem, he was a monster. Like, Herod the Great wasn't, wasn't good, but Archelaus was, was a horrible guy, um, and as one of his first acts while he was in control, Archelaus actually sent troops into the temple to put down a protest. And the result was like 3,000 Israelites died. And Israel believed he was going to be so bad that when he went to, to Rome, they actually sent a delegation, uh, not with him, but <laughs> obviously went another route 
to protest him becoming king in front of the emperor. Now, what the, the emperor took all this into account and basically decided, he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue. He can still be the ruler, but I'm not actually going to give him the kingship. I'm going to kind of divvy it up because clearly there's, you know, this isn't going right very well right now. And I don't want to give him any more power at this time. Um, so, so Archelaus didn't get what he went for because of, the, of the, the, this delegation that Israel sent. How do you think that went when they all got back to Israel? Not good, right? They... Archelaus' treatment of the Jews was so bad for the next two years that there was riots and conflicts and, and people were, were slaughtered and tortured. And, and it got so bad that eventually the entire region sent a bunch of people back to Rome and, and, and begged the emperor. And finally the emperor, um, just out of wanting, not wanting the entire area to just completely erupt, he, he removed Archelaus from power. See, the group listening would have clearly gotten the danger that Jesus was calling out here, the danger of backing the wrong horse. They had literally, as a nation, just done this. They had chosen to, to send a delegation to try and get the guy out, and it didn't, it, it kind of worked, but not enough. And they, and they experienced years of, of torture. And, and, and many of them, these are the people living in Jerusalem where the kind of the hotbed of all this stuff. Many of the people present probably had first or at least secondhand knowledge or experience of, of the cost of backing the wrong horse. Because back then, relationships were everything. Who you sided with when somebody was, when there was a, a power struggle or when somebody came to power, um, we see a little bit of this today in the political landscape, right? Like uh, uh, the president is elected, and we see this like, what happens? All of a sudden, like wholesale sweeping, like all of these positions, all these jobs are getting replaced, right? All the people that served the, the guy before, it doesn't matter how good you did your job, you weren't. You were with that guy, and so when the president comes in, he, he typically you know, wipes out all these jobs and puts his own guys in. This was true back then in all of life. All of business, all of, of power was wrapped up in your relationships and who you aligned yourself with. And so in these moments where there was kind of this power struggle, the wise thing, what most people tried to do was stay neutral, right? If you weren't sure, if you weren't sure who was going to win in this thing, you're, you, a lot of times the, the, the good, the, good uh, the, the wise thought, the safe play was to just try and, and not really put your name on either side. That way, whoever won, you'd still be okay. And then after they were solidified, then you could try and kind of get on that team. That was, that was the, the typical way that things would work for the average person. See, the nobleman in this story is putting his servants in a very dangerous position. He says, in, invest this for me. I'm going away. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and, and try and, and, and have the king um, or have the, the emperor make me king. And while I'm gone, I want you to invest this. I want you to go and do business. But here's the thing. In my name. 
This was not, a, this was not a, 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 a holistic gift that he was giving them. It was still his money, and he wanted them to invest it. And there was no way that they could invest his money without making known whose money it was. And so he's putting them in a dangerous position. He's asking them to risk their futures, to risk their reputation, to publicly align with him before they know what the outcome is going to be. See, if the nobleman failed, there would be, they would be without protection and his enemies would have ruined them or outright killed them. Because that's what you did back then. Um, if you looked through the, the history, I got stuck in a history tunnel in uh, <laughs> doing some research for this uh, with just the family history of the Herods. It reads like if like desperate housewives and I don't know the Manson family like had a baby, it would be it would be like this twenty year period in the in the history of the the Herod family tree. I mean, there was all of the like everybody's just constantly fighting for power, and and the power move is the same in every situation. You kill them. You kill them or you lie about them and you get somebody else to try and kill them. <laughs> it, was, it was a mess. It was dangerous. But this is what, what the nobleman is asking of them. And this is the great choice we find ourselves in today. Jesus has given to each one of us gifts and talents, resources, relationships with other people. The capacity for loving people and listening to people, sharing our stories, the ability to create art. And the question is, will we invest those things in his name while the outcome is still uncertain? Will we use them but try and leave his name out of it? That's an that's a easy thing for us to do sometimes. We, we know we have to be, we want to be good and we want to be righteous. And we, so we do the good thing, we do the right thing. We just, just do it and we don't, you know, we don't make a, make a scene about it. We don't, we don't um, feel the need to explain why we're doing what it is we're doing. Will we bury it like the, the third servant? Will we just bury our talents and wait till, wait till it's, it's a safer time to invest in his name? Or will we look for opportunities to say his name? A friend comes to you about, um, about being hurt by someone and you give them wise counsel. You, know, you, you encourage them to... To, to about forgiveness and about going to the other person and seeking reconciliation and, and all of these things. Do you, do you just give the advice or do you explain where the advice came from? Someone you know is going through, through a, a hard time. Do you just say, sorry man, if there's anything you need, let me know. Or, or do you get involved? Do you lend comfort? Do you offer to pray with them? At work, you're asked to do something a, a little less than, than shall, we, shall we say, ethical. And uh, 
you, you won't do it. You, you refuse, but do you explain why? Do you go the, the, our, the, what it feels like, the extra step and say, you know, we say, I'm sorry, I can't do that, but is our reason because I believe God honors those who live with honor? Or is the reason, we can't, I can't do that, I, I just, I, I, I don't want to get caught. Will we just ask a friend that we don't really know where they're at spiritually? Will we, will we take that step out and ask? Invite them to church. Offer to start exploring their beliefs about God and, and who Jesus is. And I know it's, it's, it's easy to think of the worst case outcome and dismiss these opportunities. Listen, the enemy in this world is never going to let it get to a point where it looks safe. That's the danger of waiting for a safer time to start investing in his name. There's never going to be one. It's never going to feel safe. Jesus tells us himself that they're going to hate you because they hate me. There will always be external forces trying to make you uh, either afraid or ashamed to speak his name. People acting like fools in his name. Right? We all, we've seen this. And people that are doing things and claiming and put, trying to put Jesus' name on it. And you just, you just shiver and shake your head and you're just repulsed by it. Right? And sometimes our reaction to that is, well, it's almost like we're like, because they, it's like, well, they got dibs. Um, they, they did that first in, in his name. And I don't want to be associated with, with that. So I'm just going to, I don't want anybody to think I'm with them. So I'm just going to kind of try and fly under the radar. But here's the problem. As Christians, that's not our role. Our role, we should be standing up and being more vocal and saying, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. This is Jesus. Let me show you what he's really like. Let me show you what he really stands for. The kingdom truth is being, being distorted to say something that it isn't. We're, we, we see this going on, and so we're, we're, we're afraid that people will misunderstand what it is we say when we say we follow Jesus. Or when we try and, and, and explain or share his love and his hope, we're afraid that it's going to get, there. the person or the group is going to see it through a, a, a warped lens, and so we just, don't, we just don't share. We don't feel equipped to handle it. We just don't know what the outcome's going to be. We're not sure we have enough of the answers of the questions that will be asked if we, if we say something that... That, that is a little provocative or, or elicits a conversation, a deeper conversation. I get it. I get it. I, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I, if I could teach this and sit with you, I would do so. I'm speaking to myself as, as much, probably more than, than some of you. I get it. But the reality is neutrality is not an option for us. Doing nothing is choosing a side. It's one thing that this parable shows us. But even more than that, betting on Jesus is worth it. 
There's, there's a payoff at the end of this story. See, this is, the, this is the front part, it's the hard part. But the story, the bulk of the story, the longest part of the story is more about in trying to encourage us and incentivize us and help us to get the right perspective to see why it's worth the risk. The second part of the story, we're going to see two things. One, the reward for the risk is worth it. And two, the evaluation metric that Jesus uses is attainable. It's worth it and you can do it. Verse 15, and back to the story, he says, after, the, after he was crowned king, he returned and called the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their, their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor over ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested the money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. The rewards are worth it, or at least they will be. Maybe not in the short term sometimes. Because remember, this, the, the big point of this, the, the first point of this parable is to, to help us understand that, that in the, the short term, right now, Jesus' kingdom isn't fully here yet. We live in this weird tension place between his kingdom is coming, but it's not fully here. And sometimes that tension is going to result in our discomfort. But the story, the point of the story that is that there is in fact coming a day where the kingdom will fully be here and all of the reward, all of the, the greatness and joy and passion and, uh, and amazing things that are available in the kingdom will be poured out on those who are faithful. There are massive eternal rewards for us if we will take a risk and go public with, with our kingdom investments. First off, the master says, well done. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that day? As someday, the God who created you, you could be standing before him and he could say to you, not through scripture, not through a word from somebody else, not through a feeling, but face to face, God could say, good job. Can you imagine what that, what that moment is going to be like? And then he paints this picture of, of us ruling with Christ. Now listen, I don't, I, I don't claim to understand how all this works. Right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. It's a, to some degree, it's above my pay grade on what, what we're going to rule and how we're going to rule and who's going to rule what and will we still have a boss in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it all works. I do know that those people Jesus was talking to, um, to them, a governor, a ruler with the king's approval was the person in the world that was the most honored, the most secure, the most prosperous. He would always have everything he wanted. He would always have plenty. He would never go hungry. He would always be protected. He would be the last that could get attacked. This is, the, the, I think, the, the, the picture that Jesus is painting when, when he's using this idea of being a ruler. Now, I'm sure that there are other facets to it that, that, that we're not going to attempt to get into today. Um, but certainly, this would have been the first heart feeling 
of somebody that he was speaking to, that, that a ruler was one who, who had all of the things that everybody else aspired to. These rewards are worth anything. So number one, the, the rewards are, are worth it. And then the second thing we see in this second part of the part of the story is that the evaluation metric Jesus uses is attainable. Sometimes we, we read this kind of story and we 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 see the well done and all this this you know we fo- get so focused on this person made ten times and the um, the distance of of how fruitful they were, right? How much success they had in their investment. But there's something really interesting we got we to focus on here. Verse 17, he said, Well done, exclaimed the king. You're a good servant. You have been successful with the little I entrusted you. Is that what it says? No. It says you have been faithful with the little I have entrusted you. Jesus rewards faithfulness, not success. We are being evaluated on whether we are faithful to his name, not the outcome of bearing his name. Some of the people that are going to be the most honored in heaven by any, the metrics we would first go to would have been seen as probably a failure. Jeremiah, the prophet, right, has a, wrote a whole book. By all the like church growth metrics was an abject failure. There was like less people involved in church and trusting God at the end of his ministry time than the beginning. Jim Elliott. Anybody know the story of Jim Elliott? Mission to the Aka Indians, felt God's call to, to this little group out in the middle of nowhere. And he, he rounds up this mission and he goes and he, and he, he, he tries to make contact with them and, and ultimately ends up they, they end up killing him before he ever gets a chance to share the gospel with them. And our human metrics, we would say that that was a failure. Because we, the, the outcome we were shooting for didn't happen. But the reality is, he was faithful. And I have no doubt that he had some prime real estate in, on that golden road or what, whatever it really is. I know it's not really, really made of gold, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's probably got, like, his pool overlooks, like, Moses, right? They're, they're probably in the same cul-de-sac. Because Jesus grades on faithfulness. And you might be thinking, but what about the third guy? It seems like he got, got it pretty bad just because he wasn't, he wasn't successful. Well, okay, let's look at that. Verse, verse 20 says, but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, talking, talk, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your, word, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to others standing nearby, uh, the king ordered that 
to take the money from the servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. Sounds, sounds harsh. And this is, this is the part of the story that, I don't know if you, maybe you're like me, where I, doesn't matter how many times I read these parables, this is the part, like, you get that little, like, I get that little flutter in my heart because I'm just like, oh, I really hope that's not me. Um, but there's, but when we look deep, uh, take a deeper dive kind of into this, this interaction, um, this is not a guy who was just afraid. And this is not a guy who understood his king. He says, Master, I hid your money to keep it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Okay, two things. First one, part of the reason why the king is so infuriated is that's not him, right? If this, if this the, in this story, this is the king, the, the king clearly, obviously, we're talking about God, and, and, and this, this guy didn't, under, didn't know the king, who the king really was. And so he's painting a picture here of somebody that, that the king is not. And then so, but the king, doesn't, the king doesn't just go on that and doesn't just say, no, you're wrong. He uses his own kind of excuse against them. He says, okay, in your own words condemn you. He's saying, okay, fine, let's say that's true. Let's say I am all of those things. I'm not, but let's say that I am. Your actions still don't line up with that. If that really, was really the motivation, you would have put my money in the bank where it would have gained interest. Now, there's an interesting, some commentaries make an interesting point that, like, to us, that's like, well, of course you put it in the bank because that's what you do and you make interest. But in, uh, like, a, 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 good, a good Jew back then, didn't, they didn't use the Roman banks because... Um, in Israel, it wasn't, it wasn't right to assess um, interest on a loan. When you gave somebody a loan, it wasn't, you weren't supposed to make money on it. It was supposed to be something you do for, um, uh, a, a, well, you use like a mitzvah or something you're supposed to do to be a, a good part of the community and to express, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but you didn't, you didn't charge interest. How many can get on board with that? That would be, let's, let's bring that back for sure. Um, and so, so, so it's not that crazy to think that, a, that a, a, an Israelite wouldn't be using banks at that time, but this, this servant is describing a master that wouldn't care about that because clearly the master he's describing is not a good Jew. And so he's saying, by your own, by your own description of what I am, this is how you should have acted. What we really are seeing in this, what, what Jesus is, the story he's really telling about this servant is a guy who had bet against the nobleman. It's a, it's a guy who had taken the money and decided, you know what, that delegation, pro, I, I, with that delegation going, I don't think he's going to make it back. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to bury this money, and if all goes well for me, Nobleman guy never comes back to Jerusalem, and I just inherited a hundred days worth of money that I can now invest in my own name because he's never coming back for it. 
This is why the, the king, this is why the, the master is so enraged. Because this is the, this is the painting. This is what the, the hearers would have seen. That this was, a, this was a wicked guy. This was an evil guy that bet on the wrong horse and was now backpedaling trying to get out of it. But even in this, like he's enraged. Look at his, look at what the master does to him. He corrects him. He show, he, 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 first off, his real punishment is he leaves him in ignorance. The master never corrects him about who he really is and what he's really like. He lets him live with that lie. And then he takes back, he takes back the money that he, he gave him, he entrusted to him. But that's it. There's no throw him in jail. There's no whip him. There's no, you know, feed him to the lions. He lets the servant just basically go on his way. Say, this is the man that you think that I am? Fine, give me my money back. And you can go on believing that. Even in this, we see a God who is merciful. But we also see in this the, the cost of not being faithful, of choosing the wrong side, of choosing not, not to bear his name. See, we end up having to come up with all these other excuses and create all these other kind of worldviews and perspectives to justify our, our stance. Jed, if you want to come on up, we're going to close here in just a minute. See, the first two, the biggest difference between these three guys was the first two knew the nobleman. The first two had the, the courage to be faithful. And the second guy just bet on himself, or the third guy. I'm going to close, but I just want to give us a, a moment to kind of reflect and, and have, a, have a, just some time to interact with God um, just a couple of a couple of questions and some some opportunities just for you and your own mind and your own heart to, to, to do some business with Jesus and the, the first question I have for you is is where wh if, if I asked you today which servant are you or have you been? And no one's perfect, of course. But where would you put yourself? Is your, is your life, have you been investing your life, not only just in, in the kind of thing that Jesus would say, but in his actual name? answer to that in, in your, your own mind and heart is, is no, then here, here's a great, this is a great moment. God is, you know, the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. These moments where we are faced with our own shortcomings, the purpose of them is, is to overcome them, not to punish. And so it, it, if that's you, regardless of the reason, maybe it's, it's a selfish reason, maybe you just feel like, God, I I just don't, I feel like I just don't see those opportunities. 
Or maybe, maybe you do see them at times or have seen them at times, but you were afraid or you just chose, chose not to take that path. It, it felt like a, you convinced yourself it was, a, it was an option. It was a bonus round kind of thing and you just, you just chose to opt out of it. You know, at the end of the end of this passage, we didn't get into the very last section, but the, the, one of the, the final promises of, it's not a good promise, but the, the teachings of Jesus in this is that it says, those who have more will be given, and those who don't have even what they have will be taken away. When we say no to the Holy Spirit, when we say no to that prompting, we say no and we say no and we say no then our senses start to get dulled to him and he's he starts to we just don't hear it now whether he's i i believe he still he still speaks we just don't have ears to hear and i think for for some of us that's probably what's happened in our lives a little bit there there are some here i'm sure that We've said no, we've closed ourselves off to, to speaking, to being a voice for his name, to investing in his name, and, and, and now we don't, we're in a position where we don't really even see any opportunities in our life. If that's, if that's you, if you look at your life and go, well, over the last month, I really can't think of any opportunities where, that I missed. I can tell you almost for sure that there were many. And so for you this morning, I would encourage you to, one, repent, ask the Lord for forgiveness, and two, ask him to reopen your heart and your eyes to start seeing through his eyes again in, in that area. Say, God, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have I've chosen, or for whatever the reason, it's no excuse. I've, I've not invested your name well. God, would you forgive me? And then ask that the Holy Spirit would just begin to rekindle, to speak louder in your name, to, to wipe away the hardness in your heart so that you can begin to see the opportunity. That's the first step. We can't, we can't move in a direction that we don't see the path. We're not going to see the whole thing, but... But if, if we're sincere and persistent in our asking, the Lord will be faithful to show us that next step, whatever that next step is for you. Maybe it's a Facebook post. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend you need to have. Just have that moment now. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for eyes to see.